Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. A little rainy out there today, a little damp, amen? That's okay. The farmers had uh, some really good days to get into the fields. Uh, I hope and pray that uh, it's been good for you. Uh, my wife and I put a tiny little garden in. We, we took a tree down a year or so, two years ago, and uh, there was, you know, as you grind the stump out, but it's always still kind of there. And so grass won't go there for several years. And I thought, well, that, you know, some of that wood and chips and things like that, they'll rot eventually. So what can we do but put a garden in there? So we did. And so anyway, uh, and our garden's doing very, very well. Um, Tom, before he, he died a number of years ago, he put in uh, a couple of uh, blueberry bushes for me, and they just didn't do well where they were. So we moved them, and every time I see them, I think of him. And uh, this, just a reminder, you know, it's one of his gifts to me, and, um, and uh, little things like that do that for me. And then I, we put in a couple rows of uh, green beans, and they're doing extremely well. Uh, my beans are up like this high or so. Uh, anybody got a garden and your beans are up doing well? Got to watch them bunnies. The bunnies will tear up your garden, I'm telling you. Yeah, but they don't, you know, they don't last too long around my house, you know. Uh, and not because I take them out, I would, but uh, I think that we have coyotes and things that do that. But either way, so um, that's up, and my carrots are coming up. That's nice, and uh, we've got some uh, tomatoes in. And, and every time I look at that and I see the new blooms on them, I think of, wow, God did that. You know, he, he, he helps us to have new life. And every day in my garden, I see new life. And wouldn't it be grand if every day in my own life I saw it? New life, new growth. Anybody? Very important. Do you know that t- today, friends, in our, in our age, we have right now an all-out attack on God? It, it, it is getting to the point now that God is blamed for everything. What he did, what he didn't do, what he won't do. And you know what the interesting thing is? The things that we blame God for, God is not to blame. Uh, we, we think God should do things that he cannot. Not that he doesn't have the ability. His law doesn't allow it. We want God to do what we want him to do and not what God ought to be doing. And we want God to be the God that suits us. And whenever things don't go well for us, we never blame ourselves. We are a society today that takes less and less responsibility than we've ever done in the history of mankind. We are the most self-centered, most self-appointed, most self-reliable, that's a word I haven't used in a while, and maybe even a little bit more than that. Maybe we're even more than that. It used to be that everybody just knew what the right thing was and did it. You know, there's a few that didn't, but by and large, everybody did. 
You didn't have to lock your doors. My grand, I remember my grandfather sleeping at night on the front porch in the middle of South Bend. He, you, you, I don't want to drive through South Bend, let alone sleep on the front porch anymore. I'm serious. This is, this is, this is serious business here. You never had to lock your car. Cars, cars didn't have alarms. They didn't need them. Houses didn't have alarms. Didn't need them. Everybody had good work ethic. They didn't expect anything. It, it killed people in, within to go ask for help from anybody. Not that you shouldn't be able to do it. That's prideful. But, but people didn't want that entitlement. And, and, and we, we went to work and we busted our fannies whether we liked our jobs or we didn't. We didn't miss work, and we didn't miss church, but today we do. Society has changed because, again, you can see why. Now, I, I can't blame society. I don't blame people. I don't. I want to, but I don't and I can't because the Bible tells me that I can't. And as much as I want to blame God for it, I can't do that either because God is not to blame. And that's the point in this message, and that is what James is trying to tell us. So if you have your Bibles, it, it, turn with me to James again, chapter 1, as we did last week, and scroll down to verse 13, and, and you'll see here that I've, I've named this message, Life Lessons from James, and I could have gone really, honestly, about five or six pages of notes for this particular sermon, but I know that if I did that, it would be way too much information for you to pack out and take with you. The fact is, even with two or three pages is too much. Sometimes. But there is a wealth of information here and an even deeper wealth of spiritual truth that we have to understand. And if you look at what James is saying, this is stunning to me. He told us last week that blessed is the person who perseveres under trial. We looked at that in the very first week we started this as well. But today he says this, verse 13, when tempted, and we all are, amen? No one should say, God is tempting me. We do, but we can't because God isn't doing it. In fact, he says, for God cannot be tempted by evil. Now, I'm going to talk with you about that a little bit deeper in this message and maybe even more so throughout this series. But God cannot be tempted by evil. And evil here, even though it isn't capitalized, really means an individual. God cannot be tempted by Lucifer, by Satan, by the dragon, okay? That's what it means, and everything that's around him. You understand? God cannot be tempted. Why? Nor does he tempt anyone. So God does not tempt anyone. Test, maybe. Tempt, no. Big difference. But each one, get this, is tempted when by his own evil desire. By his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. He says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Now, you could change that today to my dear people. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth 
through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all He created. And I began to think about what James is saying, and there is so much there that no way is one message going to do it justice. And neither can I put everything that I'm thinking of in one. And so I had to think, okay, so how can I put this into the theme of things and scatter it out over a series for you? Because there are about 20 or so messages in this series. Now, whether you'll get them all or not, I don't know. But this is interesting because we want to, as a society, as a people, and, and even so, we're prompted by unbelievers and by Lucifer himself to do one thing, that's to blame God. And do you know that people have walked away from the church because they were angry with God and blamed Him for something? It's happened many times. They walked away because God didn't, didn't save, you know, grandma or grandpa who was, you know, dying of some type of a disease or, had, or an illness or something. Or God didn't give them something that they thought they deserved. And, and here's the thing, friends. Just because everybody else you know has certain things doesn't mean you deserve it. And it doesn't matter what it is either. You, you, you have to understand this. We believe we, we deserve certain things just because of our humanness. And that is not true. Sometimes it just doesn't work. And sometimes God has a hand in it, and other times He does not. Do you know that in some cases life just happens? Then God's not to blame. Well, He could get involved. Yeah, He could, but... His sovereignty doesn't always allow him to. And the Bible does say that if you pray a certain way or had the faith that God would intervene and change certain things, but that only depends on if His will is in it or not. You understand? And you're like, well, wait a minute. Why wouldn't His will be in that? I, everybody else is be able to do it. Why can't I? Friends, we propose as a people to understand God, but we do it through human understanding. It doesn't work never has. And, I, and I, I don't even know when it sort of clicked in my mind. I, I don't know when the day happened, it clicked in my mind. And, and this is what I decided one day. God is God, it is for Him to say. Whatever happens, happens. Whatever doesn't, doesn't. And that's what the hymnist said in that song. Whatever my lot, no matter what it is, it's well with my soul. No matter what it is whether it's fair or it isn't, or I think it is or it isn't. He's God, and He is not to blame. Now, have you ever noticed that when most people do wrong, they typically don't own up to it? We used to. We didn't want it, but we did. I was watching my wife and I the other night. Okay, so we lost power, and uh, uh, we had, a you know, whatever, for whatever reason, in my backyard, uh, there's, a, there's a transformer, and, um, and, and there's two fuses. One goes one, one way down the line, and the other one goes this way. Well, I'm the only one on the end of that line, and my fu the fuse that feeds us, we're the only people on it. So if we lose power, unless the other fuse blows, we're the last people to get power back. Why? Because they're, they're going to go to the larger groups of people. And so finally, the following morning at 5 o'clock, they put our, uh, put our power on. So my wife and I were kind of couldn't do, watch TV, couldn't do anything else, so we kind of we were dogged out tired, so we laid in the bed, and uh, she said, well, let's watch TV. So she got her cell phone out. We laid together head to head and watched Andy Griffith. <laughs> now, you might think we have a pretty boring life. You know what? But sometimes that's really all I got the energy for, <laughs> right? 
And so we're watching Andy Griffith, and I think you kind of dozed, didn't you, when we were watching it? She, yeah, of course she does. Of course, she usually does. I, I usually end up watching it myself because she's dozed. Anyway, so so Barney Barney Fife is is one of the funniest people on the well, he was on on the planet. You know, Don Knotts, and uh, it, it, the guy's incredible. And so, but there, you know, I was watching this, and I told, and there are so many uh, good points in this life lessons. And you know, whether you know it or not, there's actually a Bible study out there based on the Andy Griffith Show. Did you know that? Yeah, there is. Yeah, it's a video series. It's been out a long, long time. Uh, you can still find it, maybe, online. I used to have it at the bookstore. They don't anymore. But I think you can still get it. Uh, and, and there were several different things. And I remembered, as I, as I was watching this, uh, Opie did something he shouldn't have done, um, and, and, he, and he owned up to it. He came to his dad, and he owned up to doing it. And I thought, man, times have changed. Huh? Now, I know this is the Andy Griffith Show, and Ron Howard's older than me. Okay? But the interesting thing is that, was how, that, that show was based on how the times were. People just did what was right. And today, we're not taught to do what is right. We're taught to do what feels good, what benefits us as an individual, or, or what we think we ought to have or do. That's what we're driven by today. And I'm not, I'm not ripping on society. Don't hear me say that. I'm just telling you the truth, okay? My grandparents wouldn't believe it if they saw our society. They just wouldn't believe it. They've been, my, my, grand, my grandmother died in 79, my granddad, 92, I think. And that's been quite a few years ago, but they wouldn't believe it. But that's what we've become, and it happened rapidly, too. So people don't own up to things, and mostly we try to blame it on somebody else, even when it happens. Have you ever noticed that? It's, it's how we protect ourselves. Get this, my friends. And, th and this is this now. This is one of those moments. This is one of those aha moments where I used to ask myself, okay, you have all this education. When are you ever going to use it? And this is one of those moments where I get to use it. Okay. So this is something I learned in in a, I think it was a master's program, but in a in a an advanced uh, psychology course. And and I want you to understand this. This is what we're protecting protecting ourselves from. We protect ourselves from our own conscience. And if you think about that, put your head around that for a second, you'll see, oh my gosh, that's right. We do. We don't like it when our conscience talks to us, do we? Especially when it's trying to get you to do what you know is right and you don't want to. Or accept something you don't want to accept, right? Because in our age, okay, no is never no. It means maybe. Doesn't it? Ask any kid out there today. Anybody raise a kid or a grandchild? Huh, does no mean no? Uh-uh, not in their world. And you know what? They're good at it, too. Okay? So, and you know, we did it, too, just not quite as much. When, you know, we respected authority more than they do today. So when authority said no, it was no. Or there was a consequence and you didn't like it. I, I can't even think about ask. I didn't like to ask my dad why, let alone ask him again for something he said no to. I, and, and dad never had to do anything but turn and look at me. And that was enough. Anybody? You, 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 you had the same dad, didn't you? Yeah. But see, that's, that's not how it works today. And that's our fault, mind you. But we're not going to talk about that today. Mostly we try to blame things on someone else, and we, it's how we protect ourselves from our own conscience. Of course, it's true that some people aren't bothered by their conscience. Did you know anybody that's not? You might even say they don't have one. 
But the fact is they weren't created that way. They do have it. It's been bypassed. It's been locked out. And they've gone so far the other way that it wouldn't matter anymore. And that's sad. They've chosen to ignore it or sometimes just justify it. But still, most try to justify or protect themselves. And as I began to think about this, I, I, last night I came over to the office. My wife was working on her lesson for Sunday school, and I came over, and I thought, I've got to find this, I've got to find this, I've got to find one that I think would be appropriate. Because I asked her, I said, dear, do you think it would be appropriate for me to play a video tomorrow of Flip Wilson? And she said, no. <laughs> no. And I thought... We've gone far enough now in society that maybe that's not so bad. So I started looking at all the Flip Wilson videos, and uh, no. <laughs> no, I couldn't do it. I mean, I mean, a couple times he played a minister with a bunch of, and, and it, is, it is funny. But there are certain things that he said that it just isn't appropriate. You know, it's just, I thought, oh, you know. So I thought, no, I can't do that. But he, he could sit and talk and do, at the time, somewhat vulgar things. And, 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 go, and, and, and almost sacrilegious when he played a minister. And, and, and anybody watch those when he did it? Yeah, because it was what was on. Your parents probably watched or Your grandparents did. And uh, Flip Wilson, uh, and he, he, he could go along. And maybe it wasn't even that funny, but he'd say he had one phrase. And when he did it, everybody fell out laughing. And what was it? The devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. Yeah, I know. I know. But, but, I mean, he did. everybody thought when he did it because the devil made me do it. And, you know, I began to think about it. And I thought, you know, yeah, the, the, the devil kind of did because the things I do that are wrong, the devil's made me do it. But, see, that's, that's not a fair assessment because the devil didn't make you do anything. He, he enticed you. He tempted you. Those are two words that are right here. He enticed and tempted you, but no one made you do it. We blame, you ever notice we blame our spouses and our children and our, and our bosses and everybody else. When you act a wrong way, temper-wise or whatever, you'll say, yeah, yeah, I did, I did. But you, you, what you did or what you said made me do that. No, it didn't. You chose to do it. And that means we're passing, we're, we're blame-shifting, right? That's a good word today, blame-shifting. No. You did it. Now, there may be reasons as to why you reacted that way, but you still own it. Anybody? Okay? As a law enforcement officer, a pastor, and as a chaplain, I have heard over and over again from abusers and criminals. And let me tell you, I've walked into homes that the abuse makes me want to be sick that I've seen. Okay? And the excuses that I get, and it's not always from men, okay? Mostly, but not always. And I think, okay, I mean, battered people, I mean, and, and, and they, they've always got an excuse. When they're sitting in the back of their, your car and you say to them, why did you, and, and I'm thinking, about this, why do you even ask them? Why do you even ask them? Because they're never going to own up to it. And, and not once in my entire law enforcement career did anyone ever say, because I was out of control and I'm at fault. Not one did it. Not one. It was always somebody else's problem. Something he or she said. Something he or she did. Or I've got an alcohol problem. Or my father abused me. All of these reasons are why they did it. 
No. You did it. Because see, we don't, we don't want people to tell us that anymore. And we've got people out there, professionals, they'll come alongside us and say, I understand. You couldn't help it. Baloney! You chose. You know how I can say that? Because right here, God does. God says, you are responsible. Not that there aren't factors, but you are responsible. And you know the most common excuse among us is this. Well, I couldn't help it. I'm human after all. Yeah, and God made you, didn't He? And He says you're without excuse. In fact, in the book of Romans, He says people are without excuse. Period. Period. But you see, this particular excuse implies that it's human nature to sin. And it is not. God did not create you to sin. You chose it. Sin entered into mankind through Adam and Eve. I understand that. And we all had a sinful nature. Friends, Christ Himself had a sinful nature, but He didn't act upon it. Okay? You know why I know He had a sinful nature? It's the law of averages. It's real simple. And maybe this is something you don't know, but best Sunday school class touched on it today. Okay? Because Jesus was born of Mary, who was a human, and she was obviously born in sin. Paul says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Any human since Adam and Eve... Is, has a sinful nature and is born into it. You understand? All need a Savior. Jesus was born into that as well by the seed of the woman, okay? But he also had something that none of the rest of us does, and that is a father whose seed is sinless. You understand? So he was born with a sinful nature, but yet not in sin. The only one. The only one ever born without sin and still, as a human, chose not to. Do you understand? Theologically, that's hard for people to grasp, but it's true. Okay? And I'm trying to get it as simple as I can. But here's the thing. We justify this idea by reasoning, if we have a sinful nature, then God is at fault because He made us the way we are. That's our justification. That's scary. God did not create anyone in sin. And anything that you participate in, and I don't care what it is, and neither does the Word of God and neither does He, okay? Anything that is sinful, God did not do. You might want to write that down. And for anyone who doesn't believe that I'm telling the truth or someone that wants to disagree with me, that's fine. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Don't, don't agree or disagree with me. Your quarrel's with God, not me. Go back to Him and make your case to Him. You know what? I've had to do that. I, 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 don't, I don't win very often. And when I think I'm winning, God shows me later that I didn't at all. Sometimes we're just not willing to listen to reason. Do you ever notice that? We're going to keep thinking and believing what we want. Why? Because we think what we want to think to do what? Yeah, we believe what we believe to do what we want to do. That's true. You see, I, 
And so I thought to myself, well, where do these excuses come from? I think the answer is obvious. But in order to overcome temptation, we must learn where to put the blame for sin. Henceforth, our subject scripture today. So first, what causes people to sin? Have you ever thought of that? What actually causes people to sin? Who wants the answer to that? Anybody want the answer? Or do you like sinning so much that you don't want the answer? I mean, we, hey, it's a fair question because sometimes we like things so much we're just not going to stop. Why not sinfulness, right? Well, here's the thing. We can't blame God. You, you, you cannot blame God. We want to, and we do sometimes, but you, you, you can't. Again, verse 13, God does not tempt us. He can't be tempted with evil, nor does He tempt us. No one. You see, our unbelief actually tries God's patience. Have you ever thought about that, that your unbelief tries God's patience? In Hebrews 3, 8-9, we find, Do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me. Through 40 years, they saw what I did. I thought, wow, you saw what God was doing in punishment, let you walk around the wilderness for 40 years, but you kept trying his patience anyway. It's like throwing gasoline on the fire. Bad idea. Anybody? There are certain things that somebody upsets you, whether someone in authority or, or at work or, or whatever, and, and you, you know you should just zip your lip and be quiet, but, but the, the storm clouds are rising. And you're, you're getting all excited, and you're like, but I, I just, I'd feel better if I just say it. I'll just feel better if I just say it. So what do you do? It comes out, and, and that was the wrong thing to do, because now what was a little flame possibly is now a forest fire. You just, you just, just like that. And you knew better. You knew you shouldn't do it. The little voice, the sweet, small, still voice behind you is like, no, don't do it. And you're like, and you're resisting. And it just comes out. The, one, of the most, one of the most incredible statements I ever heard one time, uh, I had a teacher, uh, it didn't tell it to me, it tell, t- told it to one of my uh, uh, fellow students, said, you know what, you have diarrhea of the mouth. And that's kind of gross, isn't it? But, but I understood what she was saying. It, just, it, was, it was just coming out. And you can't shut up. And you know what, I, I, have, to, I have to admit, there have been times when I lost control and I was that person that had that. Yeah. And I suppose nobody else in here has ever done that, have you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Today. Now, I, friends, I know that sometimes we look at God through human eyes, okay? Maybe most of the time. We shouldn't. We can't. But we do it anyway. Now, this won't work because we... We always get the nature of God wrong when we do that. When you look at God through human understanding, human eyes, and put God in the human box, you will get the nature of God wrong, incorrect. We'll never understand God if we do that either. If you look at God through here and not through here, you will never understand God. Who struggles with that? But notice that God says, we have tried his patience. I know I have. I know I've gotten on God's very last nerve at times. Anybody? 
We, we somehow want to believe that because he's God, his patience shouldn't be tried. I mean, he's perfect, so he shouldn't allow things to get to him. How ignorant is that, to think that? And yet, in, in the same breath, we'll condemn any judgment of God upon our own behavior. Why? Because we just want to believe that he's never you know, he's never angry. He's simply a God of love, mercy, and grace. And as a loving God, nothing we should do should try his patience. Never mind, get him angry. Then does this make any sense? Well, hardly. And then you're probably thinking, well, why, why doesn't it make sense? Because I like believing that way. Well, because if we look at God through human eyes on one side, we'd, be, we'd better be willing to do it from the other side too. And let me explain what that is. Every single one of us has our patience tried. Sometimes it's me with you, and sometimes it's you with me. And sometimes it's with each other. Sometimes it's with situations, other people, and just life in general, too. My granddad told me one time, he was 92 years old, and he had lost grandma you know, many years before, and he lived alone, and his grandson didn't visit him as much as I probably should have. And, and so he, and he couldn't get out and do much, and he stopped driving, and, and, he, and he would mow the grass, and our, his yard wasn't very big. He would mow it sections at a time each day, and it was a lot for him to do it. And he had the old, the old mower with the blades, right? And he wouldn't get anything else, and it's still to this day probably cost better than any power mower. But he said to me, I said, Grandpa, what's the matter with you? And, he, and, and it was middle of summer, and, and, and he, his nose was running, and I realized it was congestive heart failure. I knew it. And I said, Grandpa, what's the matter? He said, he said let me tell you something. Life gets tedious. And I thought, Grandpa, you're crazy. And then sometimes I get up in the morning, I'm like, oh, gosh, Grandpa, you were so right. You see, it's, 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 a, it's a matter of life, friends. And every single one of us has our own patience tried, and we certainly get angry, and then we pass judgment on something. I've done it myself many times. Right or wrong, we're going to do it. Most of the time, we don't have all, you know, if, if it's toward another person, we don't even have all the, you know, all the, all the information. We judge one another all the time and say, well, I wouldn't act that way. Yes, you would have. Yes, you would have. Maybe even worse. And Squanto said, I will not judge another person until I've walked 100 miles in his moccasins. Now, you understand what he meant by that. But sometimes we still do, Amen. You see, humans have tried God's patience to the point that at one time He was sorry He created humankind. Do you know that people look at me and double take when I tell them that? God didn't say He was sorry He created mankind. Oh, oh, oh yes, He did. Anybody know He did it? Genesis 6, 6, the Lord regretted that He had made human beings on the earth and His heart was deeply troubled. There it is. And gosh, that's in Genesis, one very long after He made them. <laughs> right? I mean, how many times have you done something and said, oh, shouldn't have done that? Anybody? And for God to look ahead in time and see all of us and think, shouldn't have done that. Then I'm thinking, God, did you have to be so darned honest? <laughs> Let us think that you never thought that. <laughs> right? Because you're a God of love, grace, and mercy, see? Sometimes I think God is just, just a realist. Anybody? Did you know that God, God's commands try our own faith? They do. Hebrews eleven seventeen. 17, by faith Abraham, when God tested him, 
offered Isaac as a sacrifice, he who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. You see, friends, here's the deal. God believed in Abraham. I don't know that he always believes in Dan, but he, always, but he believed in Abraham. I'd like to think he believes in me. I'd like to think that I'm worthy of his belief. I'd like to think that I would act the way Job did. God was pretty confident in those guys, and they didn't let him down either. And I hope I wouldn't either. Do you ever wonder about that? Do you ever wonder? Well, here's the thing, friends. God needed Abraham to know what Abraham would do because he knew what Abraham would do. He wanted Abraham to know. He also, friends, believes in you. He gave you His Son, put His Holy Spirit in you, and He believes in you. Without those things, perhaps not. But with them, absolutely. Because He knows His Spirit is sufficient for you. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but that's what He means by it. Okay? Like Abraham, He wants you to know what you can do. And you know, every ball team, every wrestling team, every, or every competition I ever participated in, I had a choice. Coaches would be out there testing my speed, my agility, my ability. And there, there were always other competitors trying to get me to either not compete or not give of my best. And the enemy does the exact, absolute same thing. He's standing right there trying to get you not to give of your best. And when, when you get up that morning and you're supposed to be at work or you're supposed to be at church and you know you should be, the enemy's sitting there saying, ah, you know, you don't need to go today. Don't tell me he hasn't done it to you. And if you think the pastor's exempt from that on a Sunday morning, I assure you that's not true. And wouldn't that be something if you guys were all in here, where's the pastor? Oh, no. <laughs> then you're going to go to your assistant pastors. What are we going to do? Oh, no. I want to do it one day just to see what would happen. Listen, the devil's good at it. What's that, Kenny? <laughs> I'd like to think it's too early in the morning for that, but somehow it's not. Anyway, so anyway, because there's, there's always time for ice cream. And, you know, and, and, you know, and sure enough, about that time, you hear the little song, the ice cream truck be driving by. Anyway, so friends, the thing here is the enemy's good at these things, okay? But sometimes, friends, we... we we blame God for giving us the commands in the first place like the coach or our God just wants our best. He, he wants us to give our best. He wants us to do our best. He needs our best. Our best is what's best for us too. Remember that the enemy will do anything to win. And when he wins, we lose. When he wins, we lose because he's always against God, see. And God's, the Bible says God is always for you. He's not against you. Who is against you? Well, the enemy is. And so he wins, you lose. God is for us, not against us. The enemy is absolutely against us. Why then do we succumb to mediocrity or failure with the enemy rather than persevering with and for God and certainly for ourselves? Because when God wins, you win. Why are we okay with spiritual mediocrity? Let me tell you why. Because you're okay with life mediocrity. 
And who do you suppose spawned that? Did God do that? Did God somehow put in us this spirit of apathy? Of self-defeatism? Of negativity? Did God do that? Come on. You're going to hear this term later in the message. It's time to Christian up. I'm telling you, friends, yep, that's my word. That's my phrase. I didn't steal from anybody. And if somebody else steals it, rock on because I believe in it. It's time to Christian up. You can't man up. You can't woman up because you're doing it in your own strength if you do. It's time to Christian up, friends, because you have a God that has given you every resource and every tool necessary to do exactly that. He is for you, not against you, and He created you and knows how you tick. He also knows how the world works because the enemy controls it. And God has given you every resource, everyone, to defeat it and move forward. And notice that God cannot be tempted with evil. I want to hit this as we finish this first point because, because of it, it says, He doesn't tempt us to commit evil. In fact, God tempts, according to the Bible, no one. No one should say, God is tempting me because He doesn't. Translation, don't even try to claim that you've done wrong because God created you that way. Right now, there's this massive movement in humanity to claim that. I can't help this. God created me that way. Your quarrel is not with me, it's with my maker. A presidential candidate said that. Wrong old Buckenstein. That's not what the Bible says. You just you want to claim you're a Christian with Christian faith? You need to go here to the first chapter of James then. Because it ain't gonna fly. Again, we want to believe what we want to believe. Boy, she's quick on it too. It's true, isn't it? And don't even try to say that God tempted you to do it either. Why? Because neither claim is right. The Bible flat out says so. Do you know what the really extraordinary fact in this whole thing is for me? If God can't be tempted with evil, and I'm created in His image, okay? If God can't be write this down. If God can't be tempted with evil, and we, me, and you are created in His image, plus through belief in Jesus Christ and His Spirit because of that lives within me, okay? I'm sorry? Write it down! <laughs> okay, commit it to memory then. If I'm created in God's image and His Spirit lives within me because I believe in Him. Let's paraphrase it some. Bring it down. Okay? If God can't be tempted with evil and I'm created in His image and His, and His Spirit lives within me. Three lines. You can write those down. Okay? This means that in my spirituality and with God's help and protection... I can always get to the place where I, too, cannot be tempted with evil. Cannot. 
If God's spirit is so within me, so welled up within me, the devil's going to be like, mm, I ain't going to mess with that one. And I'm like, finally. If you want to give the devil a nasty gram or a nasty sandwich to bite, here's what you do. Christian up, get full of the spirit, and he will go pick on somebody else. Not that I want him to do that, but maybe they ought to Christian up too. And what if everybody did that? Where would he go? The Bible says he was roaming the earth looking for somebody to tempt. Why does he always seem to settle on me then? Well, let's give him reasons not to because that's what, that's what you do. That's how you defeat him. The kids say you beat that devil with a big, bad Bible verse. And friends, it works in every church of every denomination that's Christian in the land. How about that? This means that even if evil tries, it really can't get to me. <laughs> this is why Paul tells us to put on the armor of God, because in this manner, the devil has no choice but to flee, because he cannot win. Christ defeated him. Christ defeated him at Calvary. And when we resist him, when tempted, and when we win the battle, he is quickly reminded of who we belong to, okay, and what, and that he cannot defeat us, those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ Jesus, he cannot defeat you. He'll try. He'll wear on your senses, your patience, your perseverance. But he can't win, not for now and not for eternity. And I think, you know what? What can I say but praise God for that? Secondly, not only can you not blame God, but you are responsible for your sin. You better write that one down. It's already on your paper anyway. You are responsible for your sin. Say it with me. I am responsible for my sin. I am responsible for my sin. I am responsible for my sin. And devil, hear me. I'm claiming it. I'm responsible for my sin. I won't blame you. I won't blame God. I'm responsible. Okay? I'm responsible. I acknowledge that. But God has given me every resource I need to not only be absolved of that sin, but to resist it in the future. And I want the devil to know that right now. I am redeemed, and I have everything available to resist it in the future. You see, temptation to sin comes from two things, lust and enticement. That's in your notes, but you better put them up here and in here. Lust and enticement. And let me tell you something. Those are not dirty words. They're not bad words. They're not even sinful words. I want to explain this to you because we're always looking for something to blame. Don't. Remember what you just said. I am responsible for my sin. Many people believe that lust is sinful, but it isn't. How many of you thought that lust was sinful? Come on, be honest. Who thought, keep your hands up. Who thought, be honest, who thought lust was sinful? It is not. It is not. 
And you're like, how is it not sinful? I always thought it was. And you know I'm going to explain it to you, don't you? You know I'm going to probably have biblical backup, don't you? God created it. God created those things in you. Did you know that Jesus was lustful? Did you know that the Apostle Paul was lustful? Who knew it? Who didn't know it? Okay. Here's the thing, friends. Now, you may, in fact, wish that you didn't lust after the wrong things. I know I do. Okay. But lust in and of itself isn't evil, nor is it sinful. In fact, Vine's Theological Dictionary denotes lust as this. Strong desire of any kind. Strong desire of any kind. In Luke twenty two fifteen, the same exact Greek word that is translated lust everywhere in the Scripture is used when Jesus said he had earnestly desired to eat the Passover with his disciples. In other words, he lusted to do that. It was a strong, earnest desire. It was a heartfelt desire. He had this desire to do this with them. So is it sinful? Not in that case it wasn't, was it? <clears throat> Likewise, in Philippians 1.23, we find that Paul had this strong desire, same word, to stay on the earth and continue in the work that he had, but he also desired to be with Christ at the same moment. And he was torn between the two. Who remembers that verse, that scripture? Yeah, he was torn between the two. Again, same word. Paul lusted to stay and do the work that God gave him, but also to be with Christ in eternity. So he was torn. He wanted both so badly. I understand that. I understand it completely. The same word. Accordingly, my friends, God has given us all desires for things that are good. But the desire becomes evil when it is directed toward that which is unlawful or that which is wrong. And God tells us when it is. Do you understand? 1 Corinthians 10, 1 to 6, and I love it in, this, in the New Living Translation. Paul says, I do not want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our own ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food, and all of them drank the same spiritual water. For they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. Now, wait a minute. Christ wasn't even born yet. But the Bible says they had him. I take it as word. Anybody? Okay. Yet God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. These things happened as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things as they did. In other words, when you lust after wrong things, it's wrong. But when you lust after good things, it is not wrong. That's, so who's responsible? Well, we are. You are. I am. I, again, am responsible for my sin. I'm responsible for my own evil thoughts. And likewise, God is pleased with my good lustful thoughts. He is pleased with my good behavior and my right choices. But He is not when they are the other direction. It's, and it brings it down to simplicity. There really is, the, my grandma said, my guardian angel is on one shoulder and devil on the other. Well, it's really, to me, devil and Christ. Now, you can call him a guardian angel if you want. But here's the thing. I'm like this. I, when she used to say it to me, I, I'd look to see which one I was, I was talking to. 
There really is this war within, isn't there? There really is. Paul says, I know what I ought to do, but I don't do it. No. That was her lesson today, and we didn't collaborate on it. We didn't collaborate this much, did we? I know what I ought to do, but I don't do it. And he has a variety of reasons why not. That's my life. That's your life. It's the evil and the good that's available to you, and you must choose. Let's look at enticement. Thayer's Theological Dictionary says the enticement is proposed or proposition to bait, to catch by bait, to charm or enchant in a deceptive way, to persuade someone to do something by deception or flattery, to allure, entice, or deceive. Enticement. The Apostle John tells us in 1 John 2, 15 to 17, do not love the world or anything in the world. Do not love the world or anything in the world. Now, I don't care if you write that down, but you better write down the verse and then read it. Do not love the world or anything in the world. How many times do we have to say it before you know it? Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, listen to this. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. In other words, you are not a Christian if you love the world. And you will love something. Okay? For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, no, this is lust that's wrong. Lust for these things is wrong. It comes not from the Father, but from the world. And who rules the world? Yes. The world and its desires will pass away. But whoever does the will of the Father lives forever. Friends, is this really that difficult? We make it way harder than it is. It's really pretty simple. It really comes down to choices, doesn't it? It really comes down to your heart. It really comes down to what's right and wrong. It really comes into which one you're given into. If you're lusting after good things, I would say good things will come your way. You'll make right decisions. You'll lust after correct things. But if you're lusting after the wrong things, you're going to make poor decisions. And guess what? Now you're in a world of hurt. It's really up to you. I am responsible for my sin. I'm responsible for my decisions. I'm responsible for my actions. And I will not, cannot, can never blame anyone else but me. Period. And I can't stress that enough. And society will tell you, even professionals will tell you, Bless your heart, you couldn't help it. And you're going to get stand before your maker one day and say, Bless my heart, I was told I couldn't help it. Then God's going to say, Yes, you could. I gave you every tool. He's not going to say, Yeah, I know. Come on in anyway. It's not going to happen. But the people out there want you to think that's what he's going to say. In other words, he's going to say, Away from me, you evildoer, I never knew you. You say, well, God's harsh. No, he's not. He's God. Friends, every single bit of this, I can back up 100% with Scripture. Every single bit of it. And so can you. It is what it is. You see what I mean when I say it's time to Christian up? We need to Christian up. Your friends, to lust after the Father, a relationship with the Father, or to lust after doing good, being a deeper Christian to lust after bringing others to Christ, those are good lusts. Oh, my gosh. Those are good lusts, aren't they? 
Isn't that what the Lord Jesus Christ did? Didn't he lust after a relationship with the Father? Didn't he lust after bringing people to the Father to, for, their, for their own enticement to have eternal life? Didn't he? That's a good thing. But to lust after the things of the world, the flesh, even the eyes, well, that's enticement from Satan. And that would be not a good lust. <laughs> it's pretty easy to understand when you want to, isn't it? It's really pretty easy to understand when you want to. And somebody out there, somebody's going to say, well, it's not that simple. Well, yeah, it actually is. It's just that simple. Now, we are responsible. Get this in your mind, too. It's B, uh, item B on your uh, outline under, under point two. We're responsible because we made a decision. Sometimes you wish you hadn't made a certain decision, right? But you did. We're responsible because we made a decision. Of course, our first defense is to say either, well, we didn't know or we couldn't help it. And lastly, well, you know, I had reasons to do it. But regardless, they're just excuses. And the Father doesn't agree with us. And I tell you the truth, I'd rather the Father agree with my decisions and my excuses than if He didn't. You see, when we yield or give in to temptation, sin is produced. James straight up says it comes down to that. Now, of course, we'll make a deal with ourselves that maybe, that maybe it isn't really sinful. I, I've done that. Well, maybe it's really not sinful, you know. Anybody ever done that? Maybe, maybe, maybe somehow, some way, that's, I, I know what the Bible says, but maybe I misinterpreted it. Maybe, maybe the pastor was wrong. Maybe the Bible study, the leader, you know, maybe, oh, gosh, sir, surely that's not a sin. Other people are doing it, and they're Christians. You've never done that? We've all done it. We will look for people that are doing it who claim to be Christians, so there's company, you see. We all can't be wrong. <laughs> well, according to the Bible, <laughs> pretty much the majority can be wrong. I mean, look at the people that didn't get on the ark. <laughs> I, mean, what, I mean, which company do you want to be in? I mean, they didn't think it was wrong, so... And pretty much they were all floating, weren't they? I mean, come on. Do you, do you see where this is? Do you know how silly that is? It's right here. It's available to you. See, one question is always going to remain. Does the Father say it's sinful? Does he? That, that's, that's your answer. What does the Father say? I mean, do you want to believe other people or the Father? Friends, by our actions, I know who you want to believe. I know who we, I know what the whole world, I know what all of society wants to believe. Again, look at the ark. It's going to happen that exact same way again, isn't it, Pastor Bob? Over two-thirds of people aren't going to make it to heaven. Two-thirds! Which means only a third of the people will actually come to the Father. And here's what gets me, and I've said this before. If, if only a third of the people ever created are going to be in heaven, and a massive majority of those people are aborted children, you tell me how many people actually determine to be with the Father. Does that scare you? Should. Simple math. Wow.
Now, it's not a sin to be tempted. It's not a sin to be tempted. Let's face it, we're all tempted. One way or another, one time or another, it happens. Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. What do you do with that verse? The same thing I do with it, like Christian up. <laughs> I got to Christian up. I got to be like Christ. Don't you? Notice in this verse, we will be tempted in every way. Satan doesn't waste any of his resources. Why should we? Satan will not waste his resources. I know that because he's been on me. Anybody? He's good at it. Also notice that Jesus was tempted just as much or perhaps even more than any of us and in every way, the Bible says. Yet he didn't give in to that temptation. So was he tempted to give in? Well, yeah. Of course he was tempted. He even went to the Father and said, if, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He was tempted. But he got the answer, and what did he do? He Christianed up. He Christianed up, and he did it because the Father said so. I'm sure he was disappointed. You can almost read it in, you know, in the Scripture. You can almost read between the lines. He, he, was, he was so, so distraught by what he was about to go through that he, he sweated like droplets of blood. And there is a, a physical medical condition where one is so agitated that it opens, opens the corpuscles and actually blood seeps through your pores. And that's exactly what happened to him. It's a medical thing that really happens. That's exactly what you tell me where he was. But he christened up, didn't he? He did it for you because he looked ahead in time. And even if he didn't see anybody else, he saw me. And he did it for me. And it's got to be that personal to you because it is. I believe that. That's how much he loved you. Still. And when I think about that, I'm like, man, oh, man, wow. <laughs> he didn't give in. Matthew 4, 1, 11 tells us about the account of Jesus being tempted, specifically and personally by Satan. Now, I don't know if Satan gave any other human on the earth that kind of attention. He didn't, he didn't pass it off to his demons, he did it. Then let's face it, the master is better <laughs> than the protégés. Anybody? Now, I'm not saying he doesn't come and tempt you, because he probably does, but a lot of time it's his helpers. But I'd rather have the helper than him. Yeah? Because you're going to get less then, less power, less resolve. Okay. There's indication in the Bible that there are some demons that really got caught up in this rebellion and wish they hadn't have. And are kind of half-hearted in their following. They're not nearly as zealous as some. It makes a lot of sense to me because that's people too. Okay? I would rather have the protege than him. Anybody? Now. <laughs> Jesus didn't give in when Satan came knocking personally. 1 Peter 2, 21, 22, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leading you by an example that you should follow to his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. 
and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. I mean, I'm putting Scripture together, but my goodness, it's the same message, you know? In a nutshell, what Peter and Paul are saying is this. Christ gave us a perfect example to follow. We just don't have, have to sin. We can resist. You don't have to. You can resist. And not only that, God will protect you. Nothing will come to us that a human cannot resist. God said so. Yes, I know that there are supernatural things you don't understand, but you've got the power of Christ within you, and that's more powerful than them. There is nothing given you that you cannot resist. No excuse there either. He will also provide a way out, if there is, that you can make it. There's always a way out. He said so. Either you believe him or you don't. I choose to believe. You know what? I've tested it too. It works. Friends, sin brings death. Satan told Eve she wouldn't die. He didn't really tell her the truth now, did he? I hear people say things jokingly that lightning may strike me if I say this or do that. Well, probably not. Because like Eve, it isn't the physical death that comes from sin that's dangerous. When people say, yeah, I'd come to church, but I'm afraid the ceiling might fall if I come in. Probably not. You see, it's not the physical death you ought to be afraid of. It's the, it's the spiritual one. That, that's the one that counts, the spiritual death. It's separation from God. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, though we deserve that death which is due the sin, God has given us the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ who took our sins upon himself and died for them in our place. Friends, when you say you belong to him, every time you willfully sin, every time you give in, every time you make an excuse for that sin, you basically put Christ right back on the cross and crucify him all over again. That's what you're doing. When you say you belong to him and you say, well, I can't help it, you're crucifying him all over again because he gave you the means to help it. When you say you didn't know when you did, you're crucifying him again. When you say, talk to the hand, you're crucifying them again. And like Paul, I know what I want to do, but I know what I can't do. I try, but I fail. Again, the Bible says God knows the heart, and he knows when you're serious about doing it and when you're not. And sometimes we're just not. Hmm? Anybody? Friends, I can bear many things. But putting Christ back on the cross, friends, I just can't do it. But whenever I think I can, all I got to do is watch Passion of Christ one more time. And that doesn't even do justice to what he really went through. As bad as that is, that doesn't, that doesn't tell the story. They left out a lot of things. You, know, you understand that. Because it, it, it would put you, you'd be hiding under the pew. I'm not kidding. I, I, I know what happened. My studies have proven to me what happened to crucifixion. Pastor Bob, it's brutal, wasn't it? More brutal, more brutal than, than the movie that, that Mel Gibson could show you. Yes? More brutal. You, you can't even imagine the chunks of flesh that ripped from his body. You can't even imagine it. It didn't show that. Chunks of flesh. How he didn't bleed to death before he ever got to the cross is beyond me. I'm serious. Trauma. Unbelievable trauma. He had died eventually from those wounds alone. No medical person in that time could have saved him. I'm telling you. Brutal. And I, all I have to do is think about that, that he did that for me. And I think, wow. 
That, that, that alone puts it in perspective for me. Anybody? It shakes me to the core. No matter how big or how small the sin is, it has the same effect, you see. It isn't just the big ones, it's all of them. Need I say more? Let's finish this up. Thirdly, God is a source of good, not evil. You've got to understand that. God is a source of good, not evil. Verse 17 says that all good comes from God. In John 8, Jesus indicates that all evil comes from Satan. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and not holding the truth, for there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and the father of lies. I mean, uh, could, does he need to spell it out any further than that? I don't think so. When you listen to the desires of the world, you're listening to the desires of the father, Satan. That's what you're doing. That's who spawned it. That's who controls it. That's who runs it. And that's who wants you away from your father. Anybody? You understand that? If God is a source of good, how can we blame him for our own poor decisions? If Satan is a source of evil, we can't really blame him for our poor decisions neither. Again, I am responsible for my own sin. I'm responsible for my own decisions. And I'm responsible for when I don't fix it. You understand? We know who the source is. Verse 16 says we can be deceived. It's the reason we blame God, but we still made the decision. You were deceived and you bought into it, but you're still going to blame God because you don't want to take responsibility for it. But you got to what? Christian up. Can't blame Satan either because we made the decision. Satan knows what his judgment is. Ours is yet to be determined. You, you and I will continue to be responsible for whatever wrong decisions we make. And no excuse will ever change that. But our status in Christ can change. It's up to you. God's waiting for you. And He's the source of good. Which will you choose? Lastly, God never, ever changes. Ever. Ever. The Bible is clear that God never changes. Verse 17 says He never cha doesn't change. Hebrews 13.8 says He doesn't change. It says He's the same yesterday and today and forever. And since Christ is exact representation of the Father, that means the Father never changes either. He, he will always be where he, where he can be found, at least for the moment. He will always be where He can be found, at least for now. A time is coming when people will seek Him to change their status, and He won't be found. Listen to the wisdom and the words of the prophet Isaiah, 55, uh, Isaiah 55, 6-9. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call on Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and He will have mercy on them. And to our God, for He will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts higher than your thoughts. But He wants to merge them. He wants to destroy the, the separation between you and Him. And He gave His Son to do just that. And He gave you His Spirit to see to it that you maintain the bridge. You understand that? The Son built the bridge. His Spirit keeps the bridge intact. Bam. A time is coming when people will seek Him to change their status, and He won't be found. This truth. We are a double-minded people. James 4.8 says so. Come near to God. He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. For God to say that humans are double-minded means that we don't belong to Him. It means we don't belong to him, friends. Why? Because we act like we belong to Satan. That's why. You say you belong to God, but you act like you belong to Satan. That's double-minded. 
That's walking both sides of the fence, isn't it? You know what it is. You don't like people that do that with you. You won't associate with them. Why? Because you can't trust them. Now think about that for a minute. Think about that for a minute. What are you doing? What are we doing? What are people in the church today doing? We're leading other people astray when we won't tell them the truth. You understand that? That's double-minded. That's fence-walking all day long. God says, pick a side and get on it. Yes or no? Friends, this isn't me just harping. I know what I had to do. What do you have to do? I mean, where's the line? Who do you really belong to? At what point does God say to us who believe we're Christians, away from me, you the doer, I never knew you? You see, friends, you're either in Christ and act like it, or you don't act like it, and you aren't in Him. It's real simple. And people, see, the devil doesn't want you to think that. He doesn't want you to know that. And society doesn't want you to know that. There are people in the church today that don't want to believe it and don't want anybody else to believe it because they want to fence walk. Compromise, compromise, compromise. No, not when it comes to the Word of God. You can't. Well, a holy God, a loving God who loved me wouldn't do Yes, he would. Yes, he would. He's going to pass judgment. Do you understand? What are you going to do, blame God when he does that? I mean, are you? There is no in-between. Everybody needs to make a decision, and guess what? You're all making it right now. Every one of you is making it right now. I made mine. I made mine. And I'm grateful for the one I made. And I pray that the Spirit in me keeps me on that bridge. Remember, the decision is always yours. God has given you every ability to make the right one, and he is the source of right. God told Cain the absolute truth, and he gave him every opportunity and every means possible to make the right decision. Listen to the words of God himself. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. And as our worship team comes today, I'm going to do something different. Stand with me now. Stand with me now because if you're standing, you can't sit in the pew. Friends, when we sin, we have no one to blame but ourselves. Instead of making excuses for our sins, I would pray that we all overcome temptation. It's up to you, and the time is right now. Every single one of you is being offered the invitation to do it right this very second. And if you haven't done it right completely this week or the week before, or if your chances are pretty good, you might not do it right tomorrow, then by all means, make the decision so that you do right now. Because it's being offered to you right now. Are you tired of sinning? Are you tired of it? Are you tired of falling short and failing? Are you? Are you tired of giving in to temptation? Are you tired of making excuses? Are you sick of blaming everything and everyone for your own sin, including God? Are you ready to Christian up? In the U.S. Marine Corps, we are taught that life is never easy. But in every situation to survive, we must resist, improvise, adapt, and overcome. Do you realize that God is your source of not only good, but everything you need to resist, improvise, adapt, and overcome? And when you do, guess what? Every single one of you will be victorious. Every single one. 
We learned last week that trials will come, and when they do, we can win through the trial. Not in spite of it, through it. God is asking you if you want to win. The question is, what's your answer? Close your eyes. You won't sleep if you're standing up. Close your eyes. Are you ready to Christian up? Are you sick of these excuses, this failing, this garbage that's in your life? There's probably one, I think most of you are so close. I think you're right there at the doorway. I think you're so close to getting over the next hurdle into entire sanctification in this amazing life in Christ. And all you got to do is step through the portal. One last hurdle, and the devil will hang on to you with all he's got. He will hold on to you by your feet, by your toes, by your clothes, whatever he can, where you're trying to climb over. And God is saying, come on, I'm here, come on, come on. It's up to you. God is waiting for you to make that decision. Will you make it today?